Welcome to KafaruCast, everyone. Uh, we're still coming at you free, unsponsored. I want to make sure and throw that in. I've got Frank playing on his phone across from me. Say hello, Frank. Hello, Frank. <laughs> and I've got the great hammer, Tim Gillingham, uh, on the on the other line, man. I appreciate you coming on here. Not a problem. My, my pleasure. <laughs> uh, it's, always, it's always good to come on here and, and bash a guy that can go on a seven-day elk hunt without a freaking pair of binoculars. <laughs> I forgot. You're still giving me crap about that. You did that? I did. I, I didn't want to carry him. When the fuck did you do Not that? Not only did he do it, he talked somebody else into it, too. <laughs> Yeah, there's some truth in that. It was Doug Rosin. I was like, yeah, you don't need those, man. Um, was yeah, it a that pretty was... timbered unit. Yeah, yeah we yeah, hunt it all I'm over. I'm the guy pushing for sanity. I was the guy pushing for sanity. Like, hey, maybe we should call some guy to pack our meat out. No, I'll... and Snyder's like, no, I'll pack it out. Yeah, that's what you got Aaron for. <laughs> Cut and wait for binoculars, I guess, so he can pack elk meat. Like, yeah, there's no logic. See, that, see where the I'm, I'm kind of a logical guy. We just want to get that out right at the beginning of this. Sometime I'm impervious to logic. Didn't seem not that important at the time, but uh, uh, but t- so today we're gonna beat a dead horse even farther to death, which is uh, arrow setups, spine, dynamic spine, FOC, broadheads, target archery, and. Uh, for the most part, I think Tim and I agree pretty much on a lot of the stuff. There's a few things we're probably a little bit off on. And uh, it's good to have Tim on here because he's not afraid to tell me to shut up. Uh, so this should be a good one, I would imagine. Um, my, I guess my first question for you is how much in the last six months or so have you been dealing with the crazy high FOC crowd? Yeah, I, I call them the Ashby followers, but... Yeah, it, it, it's really a big thorn in my side, really, because I think most of it's ego-driven. You know, it's kind of a measuring contest, if you would say. By the way, you can say whatever you <laughs> want to on here. This is a explicit podcast, so you can drop whatever bomb you want. Yeah, but I, I can't. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh you know, it just it drives me crazy because most of it's been propagated by guys that honestly, you go back and do a little research on them, and they don't have, you know, these guys are young. They haven't, a lot of them haven't killed anything hardly. You know, and it was funny. I was complaining to a buddy of mine up here about this one guy, and oh, dude, that guy shoots out of our shop. Dude, he's only killed one two point with his bow ever. Probably shot off the side of the road. You know, and but yet he's like all over the internet claiming to be the God's authority on, you know, on front of center and, and mass weight, you know, shoots a recurve. I don't have any problem with guys shooting recurves. I mean, I play with them a little bit myself, but, you know, again, I think a lot of that, you know, if I was to just do nothing but, but bow hunt and get out of target archery, I probably would shoot a ton of traditional just because it's more fun. That being said, I still think you should be proficient with your weapon and, uh, before you take it in the field, and, and I would say 80% of the guys shooting a trad bow probably aren't. It's just, again, it's a, it's just ego-driven, and you got to be able to, at some point, you know, use what you're proficient with. It's still bow hunting. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're conventional compound. And that's where people like people like say, well, you guys, you know, the equipment's gone so far that you guys are accurate out to 120 yards. Yeah, in a perfect world, I was doing that 25 years ago. Yeah, let, let's stop and break that down a little bit. 
Um, because what I try to explain to people is not just the ability to shoot. Um, you could take 50 guys that have the ability to shoot. How many do you think have the ability to tune? Because it's not just the shooting, it's the tuning. How much do you think that tuning well, has to do with it? I, I would say, I would say of all the guys that I've seen, all the claims that I've seen of guys that can shoot proficiently at 100 yards, I've yet to see one that can throw a broadhead on and shoot a good enough group to, to hunt at 100 yards. Okay? They can't even hardly do it with hill points, let alone broadheads. And, and my, my biggest challenge to broadhead manufacturers is always, and, and this is primarily to mechanical broadhead manufacturers, and the reason I choose the broadheads that I choose are for this reason, is how are you going to practice with it? How are you going to ensure that the broadhead has the same exact dynamic reaction? Because all I hear out of these high FOC guys is, Penetration, 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 penetration. It's like fifth down my list of importance. I've never, I've shot hundreds, you know, you've probably shot way more animals than I have, but um, but I've shot over 100 animals with a bow. Never once have I come back and said, hmm, I don't think I shot a heavy enough arrow. Yeah. Never once. I've shot completely through animals at long ranges with mechanical broadheads with 6 7% FOC. You know, like it's hot melted butter. You know, they don't they don't talk about what happens when you throw a 200 grain point in front of an arrow to the dynamic spine reaction of the arrow. You know, and you know, I just we just put a, a good tuning series up on uh, on goldtip.com or in the, on the the uh, YouTube channel that kind of covers my tuning process. And if you'll run your setup through that tuning process, you're gonna figure out real quick what's happening and and how that you know all that weight affects your your dynamic spine reaction, which in turn affects where your broadhead's at. Well, and I think that what people don't understand is there's a difference between spine and dynamic spine. Um, and, uh, well, do you want to go into that? Because the spine, there's the spine of the arrow, which is just the spine. The dynamic spine is that thing flexing. And I mean, go ahead. Well, what the dynamic spine is, for those that don't understand it, is simply how the arrow reacts under load, Okay. And I have never been able to draw a correlation between a static spine test, which you use on a spine tester, or guys float arrows, they do all kinds of crazy stuff. And I can tell you straight up, you know, with my testing, that the, the static spine measurement, 180 degrees across from the seam line on any gold tip arrow, has exactly the same spine. Now, theoretically, if you fletched there and left that vertical, you should get exact same whole reaction. But it's impossible. It doesn't work. I've tried it a hundred times. You know, the, if I could measure a static spine and achieve same hole accuracy, which really is what the end goal is, is to get all my 24 arrows in the same arrow hole, then I would have figured it out by now. And the only thing that I can figure out, that I have figured out that even gets close, is matching arrows up through paper. And if you want to go to bear shaft, because people talk a lot about bear shaft, I mean, go look at, there's a guy who wrote a book, uh, he's out of Italy, it's called The Heretic Archery by Michel Frangelli, okay? These guys are a, a recurve dynasty in, in Italy, they're, they're kind of the premier recurve people, and he talks about grouping bear shaft at 70 meters. And, and it, for all intents and purposes, they're doing exactly the same thing, okay? The, the, the bear shaft is going to steer opposite of the paper tear, right? So if you've got a high tear, the bear shaft's going low. So if you shoot a whole bunch of arrows through, 
through paper or you see a whole bunch of arrows bear shafts at distance, you're going to see that variation. In the bear shaft, you're going to see the variation because the, the, the arrow is going to want to plane off in the direction, opposite direction of the paper tear. And through paper, you're just going to see a variety of different paper tears. And uh, I, I think I could save the guy a lot of time if he would just shoot his arrows in through paper at five yards and then go out and do his bear shaft test. He'd probably have a lot more usable arrows. Because it's my goal from the manufacturing side to, to teach guys how to use um, the product. When they get a dozen arrows, I want to teach them how to make the very best set of arrows out of that dozen arrows that they possibly can. I mean, it's just like rifle shooting. You can buy a certain level of accuracy, but if you want the next level, you're going to have to build it. Right. And, and to make sure people understand what Tim's talking about, for example, with my, with my recurve, if I'm tearing knock left coming out of the bow at 40 yards, my broadheads are going to hit or my, or my bear shafts more than most likely are hitting to the right side of the target because the moment my tail is going left, that arrow's going right. Um, and vice versa. If I'm tearing stiff or to the right, I'm going to hit to the left. Now you go full anal on this much farther than I did with a compound or a stick bow, but I copy a lot of your stuff in tuning. And the one thing I found, I've been able to shoot broadheads at 40 yards with a bear shaft in perfect conditions anyway, because of the anal retentive tuning that I, that I, well, mostly you've driven into me, um, over time to, to do it at the level that you're talking, go ahead. Yeah. You could probably do it a little bit with a bear shaft because of you know, in your trad setup, you're using a very high FOC. And at some point, yes, FOC is going to, you know, or the weight up front is going to override some of what's behind happening behind it. But that's really and I'm not sh- optimal. And I'm shooting slower. That that also, I think, has something to do with it. I'm not ripping. I would not be able to. I've never been able to do that with a compound. Bear shafts, yes, not with broadheads. But I don't, I think what people... What I want you to talk about or let's talk about is where I get hung up, and I'm not against heavy point weight. I, I like more of an evenly weighted arrow. I get a little crazy on the EFOC the because what people don't understand, in my opinion, is what it's doing. The backside of that arrow is is so erratic, especially in high wind or can be in high wind, things like that. Even though it's the whole analogy of a rock pulling a string, I, I have not seen a benefit in, in EFOC. You're giving up too much when you go to extreme front of center because that arrow is so freaking light in the back end that the wind can do pretty much whatever it wants to it for one. And I don't know, talk a little bit about that type of thing. Well, yeah, absolutely. Wind is a, is a factor. But you also, one thing I always challenge guys to do, and I have a building where I can shoot out into the wind, and I always challenge guys to, uh, you know, Go shoot groups in the wind. Do it with small fletching and do it with, with bigger fletching. And I think you're going to find out that you group better with bigger fletching because the fletching is trying to straighten the back of the arrow up and put it in line with the front. If the front and the back are in line, the, the front can't take off, right? You know, that's the job of the fletching. And you're, you're right. There's always a balance. If I go in to feed a target archery, for example, most of the top-level competitors are only shooting 120-grain points because... Even in target archery, they're seeing a negative impact of having too slow of an arrow because they get too much vertical strength. And you're talking the difference from probably 275 to 260 foot a second for most guys, or 280 to 270. Some of these crazy guys that, that are doing this 
in a hunting scenario are taking their speeds down to 230, 240. And, and you're living in a – the problem with the hunting world is that's fine for Mr. Ashby, who sat in a controlled environment in a blind in Africa and, and knew the exact distance to his target, and that was not a factor in his hunting. But let's just face it, in the average hunting scenario, no matter how good the rangefinders are, the yardage is still the number one factor. It's always going to be the number one factor. So I'm going to treat it like I do an IBO tournament. I'm going to shoot faster because it helps me get my arrow to the set to where I need to be easier. And that's true across every spectrum of archery. And you can, you know, there's anomalies and there's, there's exceptions to everything. And yes, you can kill deer with your 600 grain arrow doing 200 foot a second. And yes, it's better than any Indian bow in the freaking planet from circa 19 or 1880. And yes, you're a better bow hunter because you get closer and so on and so forth. But the fact of the matter is when you're talking at law of averages, you know, there's a happy medium that should be applied to, to most recommendations. And what drives me nuts is when I see these guys, you know, trying to, to, to they're almost as bad as freaking liberals. I mean, they don't want to have an open <laughs> in, a, in an argument. And, you know, it, it's always come talk to me behind the scenes and, you know, go look at this data. You know, we can't have an honest discussion about the fact that that uh, yardage is the biggest factor in, you know. And then we haven't even talked about cutting slope and things like that where extremely so slow speeds. I mean, when you're looking at two inches per yard on a miss versus three-quarters of an inch per yard, compounded as further out you get, I mean, it's only logical. They don't shoot sharp buffalo rifles at a thousand yards just because they're heavy okay and they buck the wind you know there's 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 more proficient and more more aerodynamic setups that they use for a reason what exactly started this big foc movement anyway was it was it trad guys moving in uh was it the trad guys talking about it and then the compound guys started thinking about it or what so yeah it seems like the last few years it's been, or at least like maybe even the last year, it's been getting a little bit out of hand. Well, I think it's the ethics archeries guys, you know, and it, and there's a couple, <laughs> there's the same, there's the same two or three players on there that are, that are just like, I guess they got nothing better to do than get online and, and just talk archery all day long. But, uh, you know, the new guys come, there's so much misinformation in archery, uh, you know, in the bowling side of it, if you want to get good information, go talk to the guys that compete, you know. Because 99% of the guys that compete in, in archery in the U.S. are also bow hunters, and they're also very good bow hunters, most of them. So, you know, you're going to get a lot better. But if, if it seems like if people don't, don't feel comfortable in that crowd, they kind of try to carve their own niche. Well, I think that, uh, you know, coming from shooting some tournaments, um, and and hunting both i i differ a little bit from you on the speed thing in the sense of i still want good speed but i want a quiet bow and that's the one thing i try to tell people is look if you're the difference between 272 and 300 feet per second at 272 your bow is extremely quiet and at 300 it's pretty loud I would opt for the 272 or a slower setup with a quieter bow because you're not going to beat the speed of sound but it does help with obviously range estimation, and yeah, so. But, but at, 
at the same time, I don't believe that the animals are jumping the sound of the bow as much as they're jumping the sound of the arrow coming at them. And you trad guys with your big-ass feathers, I don't know how, <laughs> how do you hit anything. I don't know, luck. But I would disagree with you <laughs> somewhat. I 100% agree that it's a lot of it is definitely the arrow coming. But just from watching so much different uh, videos of the bow going off and the animal moving, I agree with you. The the veins, the, the quieter, the better, especially if you go down range, sit behind a target and listen to your arrow come by. You know it's coming and it's still mm-hmm. like, Jesus, that's loud. Um, and so I try to get people to a, we talked about this last night, a blueprint. Okay, if you've got a, you know, Tim, you're gifted with what, a 33-inch draw, you son of a bitch? What is your draw? <laughs> that's, called, that's, that's called a curse. It's a, <laughs> it's it's a gift and a gift. curse. It's, it's, it's like it's like it's like pro basketball. You either need to be seven foot two, or you're, you're you need to be freaking six foot two. Because as soon as you get past six foot two, dude, everything nobody nothing fits. I've seen you wear high waters. Oh. I know what you're talking about. Can, do you, did you get the gift yeah, I mean, of peeing out of a canoe sitting down though, without that height? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. The um, oh well, I think though, with guys, if you've got a twenty eight, twenty nine inch draw, and you're shooting seventy pounds. For example, on in an average speed, three twenty IB or yeah, I don't three twenty bow. Um, you're probably going to be either shooting a four hundred grain arrow in the two ninety plus range, uh, roughly, or you have the option of going with four fifty to five hundred grain arrow, and you're going to be down in the high two sixties, mid two seventies, roughly. I don't think there's anything wrong with either one of those setups as long as your bow's relatively quiet, because you can adapt everything else to that bow meaning the different broadheads and things like that but you seem to always you kind of push more for speed on those different setups i mean what's your bottom level speed you suggest to guys my bottom level speed for myself personally is 305 with mechanicals and probably oh i don't know 280 for a fixed blade i'm not shooting slower than that i just the thing shoots like a freaking turd when it's that slow and you know, if you want to go back to the noise issue, I, I got a good friend of mine. I don't know if you know him. He's a guy that you should get on a podcast because the dude's a badass. His name is Steve, Steve Cobreen. You know him? Uh, I've heard the name, but I don't think I know him. Yeah, Steve Bowhunter Magazine did a big write-up on him many, many, many years ago. And, and I've kind of been working. You know, he shot for us for years here at Gold Tip. And he's, he's out of South Africa. He's actually moved back to the States now. Um, but this guy's killed... He's killed more species with a bow than any other archery, I think, in history. You know, more more SCI world record, you know, and in more species that have never even been taken by, you know, a white man with a bow. And he's just a diehard bow hunter. I mean, he's killed just unbelievable amounts of animals. But he told me, one time I had a conversation with him, he kept ordering these uh, vein tech three-inch super spine veins, and I'm like, Steve, you really think that's a that's enough bane? You know, three fletch? He said, I, let me tell you why. He said, I did this study and I and I was testing it on Paula because they're really jumpy. And he said, I put a I put a target out behind the blind. He said, and, and I filmed the animals as I shot at the target. So they got the same noise reaction, right? He said, then I filmed shooting at the animal. And he said the reaction was so unbelievably different. That he said, I'm 100% convinced that 90% of the movement of the animals from that, they're, they're just wired to move away from that sound that's getting closer and closer to them. And, you know, so I, I strive to make my setups quiet, okay? I use mechanical broadheads for the reason is, is several reasons. I believe a good rear deploy mechanical 
puts blood right at the point of impact. Cuts a really big entry hole. Um, I believe they, and another reason is it takes a lot less vein to steer that broadhead. I'm using a, a new Thorn broadhead this year, and I, Thorn come out last year, and I, I encouraged them to, to make a glue-in. They really liked our Pierce arrows, right? So I encouraged them to build a glue-in model. Because the number one thing people hate about 166 arrows is how they mount broadheads to them, right? No matter what the insert system is, it's all not ideal. You know, you can go to a full outsert. There's a ton of leverage. They bend real easy. You can go to a two-part system like ours. They, it's pretty good, really. I, I think it's a good system, but it, it, it requires a little expertise on, and, you know, getting all the run out perfectly tuned out of it so it's perfectly going to spin perfect. Um, but they come up with this awesome broadhead that actually glues right in the end of the shaft and accepts the gold chip back weight system. So you talk about a surgically accurate setup, it's literally field point accurate. You know, I'm, I can shoot five-inch groups at 130 yards with it. That being said, you know, back on our previous conversation, um, you know, bow hunting still bow hunting. And, you know, when you get out to those, you know, even with the level of expertise that I have, you really got to check yourself when you get to the long yardages because it's very easy with the conditions. You know, a little bit of slope can change things dramatically. And if you don't know what you're doing in those situations, it's just a it's just a wild guess, you know. You know, it, it, and you can't be flinging arrows downrange on a wild guess. So, you know, that, that being said, there's a whole lot of animals been killed with a wild guess too. So, yeah, no, for for sure, I I just for people listening, because there's going to be a pile of people listening to this. So w- you've got the. When, you know, when when people say extreme front of center, to my in my opinion, anything above that eighteen to twenty percent, you're hitting extreme front of center. Anything below that is whatever. Just your, your heavy FOC to to you know light FOC. But I I just you know I've always shot like one seventy five up front, fifty grain brass insert, and one hundred twenty five grain point. And my arrows always weighed in the five fifty range or more, a little less, somewhere in that neighborhood. I never checked my FOC. I just shot shit, and and it died. And I didn't really stress over anything too too much. Um, with all and, that, and honestly, and I never did because when I put those heavy heavy freaking points up, I saw all this variation through paper, and I couldn't get an arrow stiff enough to save my life. And yeah, with your draw length, I'm sure you couldn't. Good lord, <laughs> you know it. That that's the main. That's that's one of the main reasons why. So. And when you know when I'm doing it, I've got a shorter draw. I shoot heavier poundage to to get the speed up. I think where I get hung up, and and Frank hears me complain about it with a lot of these guys, the ones that you're possibly complaining about, probably the exact same people that have shot a doe or two, um, and say that yeah, the animal didn't. I'm, <clears throat> But basically, the, that extreme flock is the only way to go, but they don't have the data to te- or, or the back data or the hands-on data to test it. You know, I just always had good luck with that. I didn't hunt Asiatic water buffalo, you know, so I can't talk about that. But moose, elk, mule deer, you know, mountain goat, sheep, all that normal shit. I never had a problem blowing through stuff. And I hit shoulders at times. When I say shoulders, I hit scapulas at times. I didn't have an issue. Um with that setup and what what ends up I think happening 
One, which you have to deal with more than me, a guy reads an article, sees somebody that somebody posts, they're shooting a 350 spine arrow with 100 grains up front. They read that EFOC is magical. They screw 200 grains on that and cannot figure out why their arrow's not flying because it's supposed to be the fix-all. Do you have that issue a lot with guys doing that? Uh, I just think there's a huge amount of ignorance in both <laughs> that particular bow hunter who's grabbing onto those straws. If you want to go back, another guy you should put on your podcast, if you really want to talk penetration, because this guy has data, okay? You know, a guy named Owen Stronel out of Australia has killed over 200 water buffalo with a bow. He does it all with, you know, basically our gold tip 200 spine chaos to it, and a lot of them with the 250 spine plat- or uh, Pierce Tours and Pierce Platinums. Arrows that run in the 450 to 550 grain range. And the only reason he says that he drops the, you know, the, the weight up is because he shoots nothing but a, what they call a Cayuga two-blade rod. It's kind of like a Zwicky. Yeah, I've seen And he's actually given me the only logical explanation to shoot a fixed blade over a mechanical. I'll probably get some hate mail off of this one. But um, <laughs> he said the only logical explanation to shoot a fixed blade over a mechanical for me. He says, well, we shoot too many damn animals. We can't afford to shoot mechanicals. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, because you can't reuse them? Yeah. Well, you know, these guys go up in the bush and hunt pigs and stuff for two weeks, you know, and just sharpen and resharpen. And I mean, that's fairly logical. I mean, they're, you know, you're not dealing with long range, but I've seen him on video shoot water buffalo at 70 yards and, you know, buried in a knock, you know. Those big animals. I try to keep, I, sh- I, I shot that bull at a long distance a few years ago with a kill zone on a frontal, um, went all the way to the knock. Insane. But I was also shooting 80 pounds. And so where I think, what I, what I try to preach to people is don't shoot a, a a, a mechanical that sucks up a lot of momentum unless you've got a, a decent amount of momentum in your arrow where I guess I would argue with you is I women kids uh, older people that can't pull heavy that's when you want to shoot a cut on contact uh, arrow once you go ahead yeah I just about to say that about my wife you know I was going to give you some examples of her I mean she's only killed a couple animals with a bow the first one was an antelope at 19 yards she shot a gold tip gladiator mechanical went right through like hot melted butter um so i had her shoot a mule deer and she shot this mule deer at 45 yards and absolutely penring him but that animal took like two steps and tipped over and i thought man that is the oddest thing i've ever seen so we get up to the animal and i think what happened is, is she it just didn't have enough energy and it just barely got in the chest cavity and then the animal kind of jumped and that broadhead must have come up and clipped its you know, clipped his spine and put it right down. Um, so, I mean, since then, I mean, I built, yeah, I built her setup with a with a fixed plate broadhead for that reason now. And she's shooting 260 foot a second, so she's going to get really good accuracy out of a fixed plate. And and her, her max distance is 50, maybe 60 yards. Yeah. So, well, now, you know, they have to... Go ahead. You have to apply logic and everything. Yeah, I was just going to say, that's what people need to do, is apply logic. There is a... Uh, an extreme on all ends. I don't know anyone, including myself, that can tune a fixed blade prod head over 280 feet per second, especially you get out farther distances. I've got a couple broadheads to hit the same as my uh, mechanicals and field points at 80, but after that, you can't wind drag, right? You can't, you can't beat it. There's nothing you can do about it. Have you been able? My challenge to people is do you think your broadhead swallow like your field points? 
None of them. Put no. Quarter inch, I don't. Put a quarter inch left here into your bow. And uh, if your broadhead and your fill point still hits the same, then yeah, your broadheads fall like your fill point, but you're not going to find that. I found one broadhead in 35 years that's pretty decent in that department. Can you make your broadheads fly somewhat like your fill points? Yes, up to the point where, like you said, the drag is going to change the vertical. But one, one of the things that people don't take into consideration very much is, and if they'll watch this tuning series that I did up there on Gold Tips YouTube, they'll see this, um, is the, the length of their point versus the length of their fill point that they're doing their tuning with. If you, you think that... If you shot a 30-inch arrow and a 29-inch arrow, they're going to shoot exactly the same paper pair. Say that again now one more time. Do you think what? You think if you if you shot a 30-inch arrow and a 29-inch arrow, would you get the same exact paper pair? No, not even close. Not in my opinion. Okay, so why do you think why do you think your three-quarter-inch field point in a two-inch long swacker broadhead or a rage or a kill zone or anything else well, is going to give you? The same exact tune. Well, hold, hold on, because I'm not agreeing with you, but we need to dive into this much deeper because this is where I talk about. <laughs> this is yeah, where shit gets is, deep. If you are able, well, first off, how many people at 80 yards do you think can shoot paper plate groups or smaller consistently that you know of? And when uh, I say that, get the tournament shooters out of there. You can't count them. Oh, well. Why not? 95% of them are bow hunters. You're talking about Joe Schmo average on the street, I would say probably 5%. Okay, yeah, well, because it's going to be 100 with tournament shooters, and it's totally skews my, my point here. So 5%, and I would... It's not even 100% with tournament shooters. Well, yeah, it's going to be higher, though. Um, and so you take that 5%. I would say it's 5% that hit a paper plate with field tips. I would say it's probably closer to 2% that can do the same thing with broadheads. And this is what I talked about earlier. Very few people, in my opinion, understand changing the dynamic spine, meaning, okay, if I'm getting those erratic paper tears, if I'm getting, uh, you know, there's all kinds of different things. You can index the knock until it comes in. Um, as far as most pro shops tune the bow to the arrow, they don't tune the arrow to the bow. And, and so for me to be able to do that, I would cut my arrow down or I would add or take away point weight whatever the case may be, to get it to where I was getting perfect flight or as perfect as I could get with every arrow, if I had a broadhead, uh, let's say an NAP kill zone, and then I had a cutthroat or an iron wheel fixed blade, those things would group significantly different at 80 to 100 yards. The problem that I see on the Internet is if your group's the size of a stop sign, how do you know? Right. Like you don't know what's different. You don't know what's changing. And if you occasionally miss the target, you just chalk it up to whatever. A lot of times I think that the, the people just don't have the ability or the knowledge to, to that they should ever be even shooting past 50 because of what it takes. And, and you have pioneered a lot of this shit. Well, you're absolutely right. And, you know, you have to tune your boat, your arrow to the bow because you're shooting a recurve. OK, you are letting go with your fingers. Fingers create a massive amount of knock travel in the system, so you have to flex the arrow around the problem, okay? So it's a completely different dynamic than shooting a compound bow with a release. A compound bow with a release is basically a, a vertical crossbow when when done properly. The problem is you've got a bunch of crappy bows out there that won't <laughs> tune in the bow manufacturer. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> well, how many, how many times? Okay, I mean, talk about the crappy bows, right? Because when you're able to yoke tune a bow, and and I know if I get you going on this, you're going forever. But yoke tune a bow. If you don't have yokes, your only other real option is shimming a cam over or putting more uh, flex on the cable guard. If you're getting, let's say, a knock left tear or something like that. Well, and I cover that all in that tuning series. I cover all that in that tuning series. I covered the correlation of paper tune to bear shaft to broadhead tuning. And when we're trying to get our broadheads to fly like our fill points, we're basically, really in all sense of purposes, taking both of them a little bit out of tune. If your broadhead is longer than your fill point, then you're basically taking them both slightly out of tune to try to make a match. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just, there's so much to it, and you have to learn it from the bottom. And when you're talking about crappy tuning bows, when a person, the average guy goes out, he's so, you know, so uh, susceptible to advertising hype. And, and, and I just go by, you know, the more you see something in an advertisement, you can pretty much guarantee it's not the best product on the market because it's got be, to have gimmicks to sell. And, you know, if a guy knew how to, to look at a bow and say, that's got a really good limb pocket, it's not going to fail me, uh, it's got, you know, twin yokes on her. It's got some type of a quick adjustment system to do the actual tuning. I'm going to buy that bow because I know it's going to be easy to tune. I know it's going to have, you know, it's going to be just an awesome bow. But what they do is they buy something that's popular, they get it, they can't tune it, and then, I mean, we're talking guys. I had a guy call me yesterday. This guy's been, this guy's been shooting competitive archery for years, and he didn't know how to tune he, he had made an adjustment to his rest, and he got the, what did he do? No, nah, let me take that back. can't remember exactly. He, basically, he got the opposite reaction of what the tune charts told him he, he got, and, and it's really because it, he changed the knock travel. He wasn't, he was thinking only arrow spine. I got a right bear shaft or a left hair, I got a weak arrow. And that's, and he, know, he knew he had a stiff arrow, so he knew it wasn't possible. Kind of how I discovered that, you know, this stuff all along is that I'm shooting, you know, a hundred spine triple X arrow and still got a left hair. I don't think that that arrow's weak. There's something else going on here. And it took me a lot of years to, to try to figure it out. But it was the cable guard and you kind of pioneered shaving that bad boy down and getting, I mean, didn't you well, kind of pioneer the flexible cable guard? I don't know that I pioneered it. I've seen guys doing it before me. Um, the first guy I ever seen, and, and you want to really look back. Let's look back over the years. You know, Jennings used to have what they call a flip guard. I remember that hey, the thing. Flip guard, yeah, it flipped over and relieved the side load. But people didn't know what it was doing. The guy Jennings probably did. Uh, I, I think Gary, uh, the guy that's one of the lead engineers for Mappy's, I think was the guy that built that thing, if I'm not correct. But um, if you look back in the days, Darton built an old bit cable rod, they, you know, that did the same thing. That's what a lot of companies are doing now. That's what we started doing. And a guy named Dave Butler out of California is the first guy I ever seen with a fat cable rod. Now, I didn't know what he was doing. He might not even known exactly <laughs> what he was doing at the time, but but it fixed his problem. Now I fundamentally understand it because one, I remember one day I put a shoot-through harness on a Hoyt bow, and all of a sudden this inch-and-a-half left hair I had went away. I just used to think it was my draw link, and there was nothing I could do about it. And... Uh, so then I put the cable guard back on. I got an inch and a half left hair. Well, at that point, I'm not blaming the arrow anymore. You know, I'm not blaming anything but what it actually is and then trying to figure out, you know, a solution to the problem. 
I mean, when we're talking about that, like you get a lot of guys, that is something else that happens. When you add extreme weight up front, you generally will get, uh, with, a, with a stick bow, you definitely get it. You go to straight knock high tear um, when you have that crazy weight up front. And so you, that's, Yeah, that's because it's compressing. It, it's just basically coming out of the bow and just tipping. That's gravity. Yeah, per, pretty much. But you also will get that with a sometimes with a compound, you will have the same type of things happen when you start to go to extremes that, quite honestly, a lot of pro shops don't know how to handle, especially with that extreme front of center, because the bows are doing things that, quite honestly, there's no chart for. There's not the, the you know, the, the let's say the launcher. Um, you know, if it's a launcher style rest, it's probably not made for that amount of weight on there. There. Um, I don't think people understand also when you when you're shooting a limb driven um, arrow rest that you really there's a certain amount of time you're going to want that arrow on that rest and that can cause problems bounce back can cause problems and these are all things I'm, I'm guessing you're dealing with on tuning sides daily where you're ready to pull no. your hair out you're not going to get any bounce back with a hamsey but oh it, when I know, say it, when I say bounce back well, I mean, and we can pimp out the Hamski here in a second. Most arrow rests, you will get bounced back. You won't get it with a Hamski, I will say, but most arrow rests, it, you'll get it. Yeah, well, let's talk about that real quick. What causes that? It causes it because it's tied into the limb without the, the, the spring in the system. Yeah. The limbs all have flutter, right? Limbs always go static and come back without flutter. The reason you're getting bounced back is because it's hard, tired, hard tied into the limb. And... So, yeah, there's there's a ton of anomalies. Um, but the biggest thing is what that point weight does. That point weight's sitting out in the front of your arrow, and it's creating resistance, right? So it's called it's the old it's the old uh, mass in motion thing, right? The more mass you have, the more energy it takes to get in motion. One of the things that I argue a ton with these high FOC guys is is they try to claim that their stuff's more efficient, that you're losing more energy with a with a light arrow, and I completely disagree because if you look at Look at, just go shoot some arrows through a chronograph, right? If I take my wife's arrow, that's 250 grains out of her target bow, and I change the arrow weight by 20 grains, I'm going to gain about 10 foot a second. I'm going to gain about one foot per second for every two grains of arrow weight. If I go to the average weight arrow of 350 to 430 grains, I'm going to see about three grains of arrow weight changed by one foot per second through the chronograph. If I go up over 500 grains, now I'm losing, now I'm only gaining a foot per second for every four to five grains. What does that tell you? Mm, I'm not 100%. It tells me that you're robbing energy because it takes more energy to get that mass into motion. I understand where you're coming from there, but I would strongly disagree that you will not get more penetration out of a heavier arrow with high momentum than you would with a light arrow with you know more kinetic no, energy, I, let's say. And I would argue, how far into the ground on the other side of the animal do you want to shoot? No, and I, and I that I agree <laughs> with you. Like there, and that's where we talked about there is a happy medium for everything. And if you are going so far to one end of the spectrum and sacrificing speed, you're making, in my opinion, you're making a mistake. You have to stop the madness somewhere and say, hey, you know what? Um, 480 grains and 278 feet per second. That's a good happy medium. I can blow through anything I want. I got decent speed. When you go the other direction, 
where you're lobbing logs, yeah, you why? If you're only shooting a deer, you don't need to. And if you go the hey, other way, you hey, go ahead. So, you know, talk tell Jim Bass that. Jim Bass, a guy out of Kansas, he's an older guy. This guy killed some massive deer with a bow. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's out of Manhattan, Kansas, and this guy's killed some monster deer. One thing that struck me so, he told me his setup, and he did this because, again, it goes back to the hunting scenario. What's important in the hunting scenario? And I always say speed is important, especially with whitetail hunting, because you're sitting in a tree stand, you've ranged from different points, things are happening fast, deer come through, you're shooting through tight holes in the brush. There's nothing a slow arrow is going to do to help you in that scenario. So Jim, Jim told me a setup. He's running, he was running a, this is 20 years ago, he was running a, a 318 ACC with a 75 or 65 grain rocket glued right in the point of it. This arrow didn't even weigh 300 grains. And he was shooting it at 360, 370 feet per second. Why? So he didn't have the damn deer jump the string. Yeah, but you he's also one of the better shooters in the world. He's not going to have some issues that average Joes might have. So there's got to be a happy medium. Yeah, it's called solve the problem where the problem exists. <laughs> don't band-aid the problem with a solution that's not reliable. And my big problem with these FOC guys, these high FOC heavy airweight guys, is they're going out there and they're preaching that they can reliably shoot a deer anywhere and get penetration and that is total bs now now hold on say that again one more time i want to make sure i got that no no they're saying that they're going out and preaching that they're your if you build your setup this way you can shoot a deer through the shoulders through the point on shoulder um you can breach any bone you want with this setup and that's total irresponsibility and total bs in my book Oh, uh, and I'm not going to argue with you too much on that because I'm not saying I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I say it's it's irre, it's irresponsible to preach that it's reliable. Yeah, no, I'm going to agree with you there. I'm going to say that I again, a common sense and a happy medium. You want to have a, a, a arrow that and a setup that is good for the best of all situations, meaning it'll do pretty good if things go wrong. It's going to do good if things go right. You've got good speed. You've got good momentum. You've got good everything and. I do think that if you're setting yourself up to try to shoot through a shoulder blade, you're not really thinking of the big picture because if you suck that bad, you should probably go practice more. I, that's what I think. Uh, again, it, it goes back to every reason. Now, I can I can use aerospine to change the tune on the bow, but I don't agree with that. I agree that you should fix the problem at the root of the problem, not band-aid it by, by having the... To find the perfect arrow. When you have crappy knock travel, what happens is you're only going to find one arrow that tunes out of your bow, much like a recurve. You have to have your arrow in an exact configuration to make it come out of the bow and get perfect arrow flight. When I shot OPA last year, I shot a Pierce and a 9.3 out of the same bow. Okay, I tuned it to the 9.3, which is a 23 diameter shaft, shot a perfect bullet hole. My Pierce was shooting maybe maybe a 316 to an eighth inch high tear that's what you call good knock travel when you see that type of scenario then you know you have good knock travel no de- definitely well what do you think for the average joe what do you, what is your when i say average joe 28 to 30 inch draw 
um, hunting North American game, meaning that, you know, let's say the big four, elk, mule deer, uh, mountain goat, and sheep, let's say. What, what, do you, what do you suggest for most guys to shoot? What speed and, and uh, what arrow weight? Yeah, you're talking, you're talking, you know, when you're talking to most of these guys online, they're talking primarily about white cell hunting, which is not yeah. extraordinarily difficult to get penetration. But when you come out west, the biggest thing you're going to deal with, in, in a just like any archer in a competition deals with, is wind. Wind is your biggest enemy as an archer. And I think that's the only reason I shoot heavy arrows, and it's, it's the reason I shoot skinny arrows. And the reason I try to shoot heavy arrows fast, the reason I was pulling 80 pounds to shoot a kinetic 200 at 315 foot a second was so that it had better wind performance, okay? Penetration just doesn't even, like, it doesn't even, like, I don't even, like, think about it. I would shoot an elk with a 370-grain arrow tomorrow and not even hesitate. It's not even, it's not even, like, it's not even a big deal. I mean, Jake Jacobson, a good buddy of mine, has shot two elk with a 2.2 kills on the last three years. Big bulls with a 340-grain arrow at 65 pounds and got complete penetration on one and got all the way through to the opposite shoulder on the other. It, it's not, that, that is not one of the reasons. I think, I think the average arrow, anywhere between 370, you know, one of the gals in the office shot a 370 bull by herself last year. Just an awesome story. You know, shot a 400 spine XT hunter with a, with a hundred grain muzzy. What, 360 grain? Do you have any elk get killed in the state of Utah with that exact setup? Uh, I'm sure quite a few. And, and I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with you on that. I just, um, I my numbers are a bit higher than yours, but go ahead and finish. Well, you're 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 kind of a muscle bound macho guy, you know. Well, no, it's not really that. It's from what I've seen, and <laughs> and, and and no, I'm saying not what I shoot. I'm way different for what I shoot, eighty ninety pounds. Um, meaning what I suggest is for guys to stay. When I say guys, the average 28-inch to 30-inch draw, um, shooting 70 pounds, I'm more of a 450-plus guy um, is what I like yeah, to see. Yeah, and I, 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 yeah, I would be a 400-plus guy. I would yeah. say, and I, would, and, and I wouldn't even be talking arrow weight. I would be talking what speed do you get? Just like a guy calls in and talks about a 3D setup, my first question to him is what's the rule? Yeah. What speed are we trying to achieve? When we know the speed we're trying to achieve, then we can pick the arrow for it, okay? Yeah. No, you know, no, for if sure. You're a guy that, if you're a guy that, you know, and I say I don't want to hunt below 270 foot a second, okay? That's my personal. If I was teaching a guy, I would want to make his setup at least 270, okay? Preferably 280, 290 or better. And if, if it's a guy that, say, for example, he can only do that with a 350-grain arrow, I might steer him into a Pierce arrow, because I think he's going to get a little bit better penetration just due to the fact you have, you know, it's less susceptible to the wind at that diameter, and you have more stored energy in a smaller area. So you're going to get a tiny bit better penetration. And I'm going to steer him in a broadhead that maybe is a 1.75 instead of a 2-inch or a 2.2, okay? See, and I'd, I be, I'd be steering him to a cut on contact with that setup. Tim, are you taking are you taking expandables and fixed blades with you on your hunts, or are you just doing one or the Tim other? Hates fixed blades. Never. Let me give you. I, I, I am. I never <laughs> ever shoot fixed blade broadheads unless I'm forced to. I just don't believe in them. Like in a like a state like Idaho or something. Well, if I go to Idaho, because the last state in the union that still 
doesn't allow mechanical because you got a bunch <laughs> of egotistical trad guys up there in the board. And let's just call it spade a spade because that's what it is. That's, what's, that's what the whole thing is about. Okay? I feel like when I shoot a fixed blade broadhead, I'm giving up something all the time. I'm giving up accuracy. I'm giving up a wound channel. Um, I'm giving up wind performance. I mean, it's just like if you, it's just like dropway rest, guy in target archery. A lot of the guys shoot blade rest. There's only one reason they shoot a blade rest over the dropway. They don't trust the dropway. Okay, I trust my dropway more than I would trust any blade rest. Okay, and the same thing applies to fixed blades. People don't like mechanicals because they either had a bad experience or they buy into the hype that they don't trust them. Okay. But for every 10 guys, for every one guy hyping the high FOC, cut on contact, single bubble, you know, broadhead, there's 10 or 15 or 20 guys in an open forum that will say, well, rages work just fine for me. I just, you know, I look at this blood trail and so on and so forth. But, you know, it's, you know, it's to each his own, but I think the reason people go in that department is it's a trust issue. Well, I, I, I just got done with a different podcast where a, well, with another somebody else's podcast where I talked about, I I like having two arrow two broadheads in my quiver. I like having a mechanical, and I like have and I've done that for years. And a fixed blade, you cannot argue the fact that it's like hitting something with a three thirty eight Lapua compared to a two twenty three, or a three hundred grain bullet compared to a whatever eighty five. Yeah. You can't argue the fact that two, two and a half inch hole, if you make a poor shot, you're going to have a hell of a lot better time finding the animal. No way around it. Can't be argued. Go ahead. I've seen most bow hunters shoot. There's a lot more poor shots made than perfect shots. So, and that can go both ways too, though, depending on which end of the ass end of the animal you're talking about, where arguably a cut on contact might be better compared to a bit expandable with good momentum. But again, I I think that the majority of this could be solved by learning the the art of archery, like learning this the craft, practicing shooting, and not spending so much time on a on a fucking calculator, figuring out what someone should shoot, because then you're gonna one find out what your own chapter of this book says, what you want to shoot, what you're comfortable with, because I could probably pick. Go ahead. Well, yeah, the guys that get into target archery shoot 3D year-round and are, are exposed to archery 365 days a year, they know this stuff. I mean, they they're, 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 they learn how it affects their downrange performance, and so they apply it to their bow hunting. And you, you hardly ever see a guy that's fluent in target archery buy into these super heavy arrow setups. You just don't. Right. You know, I can understand why if you're shooting a recurve, you need a heavier arrow. It's like you and I were talking yesterday about, you know, I got two little hand axes in my in my shop that i chop wood for my my wood stove and yeah the one with a heavier head takes a little less force to drive it through but like you said what happens when you hit a knot it stops both of them yeah <laughs> they ain't going through oh. no that's true and both of them you know on a good grain piece of wood both of them will blow right through like hot melted butter so you know it's it's always the balance okay it's always the and that's why I always rate penetration as shot placement, broadhead design, and arrow flight. Those are the first three most critical components. Then weight and diameter are way down my list. Right. Well, when we talk about, and kind of my, I mean, my biggest thing is 
the most perfect. Obviously, not talking about shot placement, that's key. But when we're just talking about the setup, Aeroflight is number one for me. And if you're sacrificing Aeroflight for one direction or the other, which you see a lot, that's where I start pumping the brakes. And I'm like, hey, man, why does it matter to go to 23% FOC when 17% you're shooting bullet holes? It does, why change it? Leave it. You're going to go through the animal. You've got perfect arrow flight. Stop fucking with it. And when you, when you talk about that, if you've got a guy, I would rather see a guy shoot a 465, 85 grain arrow with perfect flight than try to bump it up to 520, sacrifice flight to gain a few percent front of center. I, I don't agree with people trying to do that. I think it just causes nightmares and problems. The other thing you get with extreme FOC is generally a brittle arrow because you're going so light of an arrow to get that higher FOC, you're also going to have a less durable arrow shaft potentially or definitely really. Um, and that's another problem that I've talked with guys with is they're just blowing up arrows like crazy, especially on side hits because they've went to a, a super light arrow. And, and if that's what you want, that's fine, but it does get expensive. Yeah, it depends on what arrows you're shooting. You know, there's a huge difference in carbon too, you know, and you know, you know, we, we preach that nonstop, you know, the, the Newport grade prepreg that we use is the best in the industry. You know, it costs more money, but it builds the best and toughest arrows. Right. And, uh, but if you go down to a Pierce or you go to our new airstrike, the only way you're going to get that light to move your FOC higher or your right is to go to a high module scrapite, which is in turn more brittle. But, um, you know, you know, I always use another analogy on penetration. You know, when I used to work on the railroad, we used to drive spikes in with a spike mall, right? Mm-hmm. And spike malls, spike malls, if you're not familiar with them, have two ends on them. One's, a, you know, one's probably, oh, I would say an inch and a half in diameter. The other is about two inches in diameter. If you hit the spike dead in the center with the smaller end, it will drive the spike in faster. But if you hit that spike ever so slightly off center, you were better off using the two-inch end that had a larger surface area coverage over that spike, and you'd have better dissipation of energy and better, you know, penetration of that spike into the into the rail. And the same thing applies to arrows. If you don't know how to tune a micro diameter arrow, if you make poor shots, it's going to translate into a poorly tuned arrow you're not channeling that energy right down the center of that shaft. And so you're losing, like you said, your, your number one thing, arrow flight. Well, that's why. I mean, you know, arrow flight is critical to delivering the, the maximum amount of energy right down the center of the axis of the shaft. Yeah. Well, the, a couple guys made comments because I got some pass-throughs on super, super close shots, and I didn't really think about it at the time. They were like, man, your arrow is flying super well because you're getting pass-throughs with this with a Tradbow um, uh, close up because people, most people's aero flights, whether it be aero flight, whether it be from a bad release or, or whatever, um, it really sucks up all your energy because your arrow's hitting the animal crooked as shit. And, and I was getting pass-throughs close up. Obviously, that's being really anal tuning. The same goes, though, for, again, with I hate to get into this, whatever, when your arrow is not hitting that animal straight, it is robbing an an insane amount of of energy out of your of your bow. And I know the extreme FOC guys talk about the the broadhead pulls it or the point pulls it through. I think that's a crock of shit. Um, 
one of the worst penetration I ever got on an animal was way back when I first moved to Alaska, and I think it was about 1990. I shot a moose, and I was shooting 22-19, probably 32, 33 inches long with a two-blade bear razor head out of a, you know, I was probably shooting 220 foot a second. <laughs> I got like 10 inches of penetration. I mean, it killed the moose, but I was just like, are you kidding me? Yeah. How I mean, old? It was, it was you were in the army up there, weren't you? Yeah. How old? How old were you then? I don't. I don't think people realize how long you've been dinking around with archery, uh, or a lot. Some people don't. Um, uh, I turned fifty this year. I was nineteen back then. So I mean, I've been I've been eat, eat, sleeping, and breathing archery since I was fourteen. You know, um, and, and literally eat, sleep, and breathe it. The only time I didn't was my eight month stint when we spent in Egypt. You know. Yeah. Were you in Sinai? Yeah, she's told she had whole. Um, so with uh, <laughs> when when you like over time or whatever, um, what would you say like the most? I mean, I I think you can grasp that if you can read through the lines. What do you think the most failing, common to like? What's the most common failing issue for most guys? Let's say blueprint at one through five. What people really need to look at um, that are trying to get a good uh, a good setup, good system, good flight. What do you think their biggest issues are? Well, their biggest issue is they'll go out and they'll spend uh, $1,200 on a bow, but they won't spend two nickels on learning how to shoot it. (laughs) I'd agree with that one. Yeah, that'd be in the top five for me. The whole industry is that way. I mean, there's a lot of information. I I started shooting pellet guns last year, and and I had to get on the Internet and try to learn some stuff about them. It took me quite a while, but I finally narrowed it down to about three people that I trusted any of their information, and even their information was fairly rudimentary. Um, but that gave me the basis to kind of go off of, but you should really honestly get involved. If you want to be a better bow hunter, be a better archer. Okay. Archery and bow hunting is about the art of, you know, the, it's the lore of learning the, the bow system and learning the equipment and learning and exercising your, your own limitations. But not, don't throw those limitations on other people just because, you think 50 yards is the max shot should ever take on an animal. You know, there's a lot of people seem feel the same way about rifle shooters, you know. 300 yards should be the max. Well, I know some guys that are good enough at 800 that they'll outshoot anybody at 200 of the average crowd. I don't know if you remember, that was the whole reason I picked up a stick bow to begin with because I did that podcast on ethical shooting distances and broke it down mathematically, the speed out of a stick bow, the speed out of a compound, or whatever, and and I get asked the question: Since you started shooting a stick boat, has your opinion on shooting long distance changed as far as shooting animals? My only opinion that's changed from picking up a stick boat and also hunting with a lot of guys with compounds is: I personally would still probably be shooting things far away if I had a compound without blinking an eye. What has changed is me. And what I'm trying to preach to people, and it's exactly what you said, go take some freaking lessons, go learn how to tune, pick up a jig, learn how to fletch. You know, I learned the hard way on my own, but I think people would be so much farther ahead learning all of that than they are getting on a forum arguing about FOC and and regurgitating some shit some other dude said, where they just go out and learn it on their own. And if I'm not mistaken, you learned on your own, right? Didn't you? You didn't really have anyone helping you out. 
No, I learned everything the wrong way and had to figure out why it was <laughs> and, you know, and, you know, there was some information out there, you know, that, but it wasn't correct. I mean, I learned at a site level from a video that was wrong. And so I'd have to come down from Alaska to a tournament. The, one of the four tournaments I get to go to a year, really looking forward to it, get to the first uphill shot and hitting out the left, first downhill hitting out the right. And now I have to go back home and try to figure out why. Because there was no knowledge out there, okay? And I was seeing the worst of the spectrum because of my drawing. And, you know, I've had to learn everything that way. I've spent hundreds and hundreds of hours trying to figure out why I was getting this left hair out of my bow. The guys coming up through the ranks right now, they could take an hour of their time and go watch 11 videos on Gold Tips website or on our YouTube channel, and they can learn everything that it took me 30 years to learn. Okay? Yeah. It's there for free. For free. Well, do you think... Oh, man, how do I say this? I sound like a total dickhead. Um, I guess the simplest way is... How I mean, you're beating your head against the wall. Um, what do you think the best way is to get people to start learning it? It seems like to me a lot of it's just laziness. They want to buy their way in. Hey, welcome to life. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, there's one thing you can't teach, and that's desire. Yeah. No, that's you just, true. You, you cannot regulate desire. You cannot teach desire. And people either want it or they won't. They're either willing to do what it takes or they're not the thing about it is they don't have to do that much anymore to to really satisfy that yeah it's so much of it's out there for free yeah yeah well it's it's amazing sometimes who people trust though it's like you know when i want to learn about rifles i'm going to go into competitive shooting and learn about rifles i'm not going to go to some guy that's killed 97 animals with a gun not exactly the criteria it takes to become, you know, proficient with the weapon. The guy might, you know, the problem with hunting is a lot of your, your guys that are, that are so-called renowned hunters, they got that way just simply because they have more money than everybody else. Yeah, there's a lot of them like that. Yeah, can't argue with that. But there's guys like Chuck Adams who pioneered everything. He was a, he earned it the hard way, you know. This guy was a competitive shooter first. He learned his skill shooting competitive. I still can't believe he still shoots fingers, but whatever. He each his own. I mean, Bobby just realized, you know, he thinks he's, he's good enough with fingers for what he wants to do and and uh, more power to him. But, he and, you know, you uh, bring up him. He and Randy uh, Ulmer both definitely preach more of a quieter bow and a heavier arrow. Um, I mean, quite a bit actually drastically different than what, what you're kind of saying. And I think what it is is you're more saying – just don't go to the extreme of one end or another. It, it seems like. But I don't think if you talk to Randy Omer on his setup, I don't think he's talking that heavy. I think you're talking 450. You know, five five hundred plus is what he preaches. Does he? Yeah, but well, how many pounds he pulling? Seventy. Um, he doesn't like a fast bow, man. Two sixty five to two eighty. Um. That's kind of what he's kind of where I'm at, where I don't worry about at speed as much. But I, I mean, I, I, if he was shooting IBO right now, I'd make him worry about speed. Well, he's talking about hunting, not, um, you know, not <laughs> tournaments, obviously. Know, back in, you know, but back in his era of, of 3D, you know, the speeds weren't what they were today either. You know, and, uh, you, you, you learn, you learn how to make speed accurate too. 
Yeah. Well, you know, I, I that's, th- probably, that's probably my forte too. Is I can, you know, I can take a, you know, I won IBO World one year with a fifty grain point and a triple X. I had that shaft, and there's people that would think there's no way possible that that that, that setup was perfectly bare shaft tuned. Yeah, okay. that, that is it a pain in the ass. Air fifty grain point at twenty yards in the X-ray. How long did that and, take you to make happen? Well, not long at all. All you have to understand is that it's just more sensitive. When I twist the yoke, I get more reaction out of a fifty grain point than I would a two hundred. Right. It's just more sensitive because you don't have as much resistance up front. That uh, you know, but that would suck for hunting, except for short range because the wind would just wreak havoc with it yeah no for sure and i just want to make sure i mean obviously you and i differ a little bit on the weight thing i really like guys to shoot a heavy arrow with decent speed that's flying perfect and focus on that and i know you're worried more about speed uh, but i also probably initially shooting 3ds and everything there was a 280 speed limit i got used to that 280 benchmark i just became comfortable with it i don't think i mean I don't think anybody should probably listen to you or me when it comes to our personal setups because they're so far out of the realm. But for that average setup, I mean, most guys are going to be better off shooting at just a straight flying, decently weighted arrow for me, in my opinion. And I, I don't worry about the speed thing as much as you do. And it sounds like, do you preach to a lot of guys to try to hit that 300 mark if they can with decent weight? Well, it, to me, it's all about you you think arrow flight's the most critical, and I think hitting where you're supposed to is the most critical. No, we're leaving. I, I didn't say that. God damn it. I left that out. I'm talking about your your system. I'm talking about what you have control of in your system. I agree with you. Hitting, being accurate is the most important, but leaving that out... When I when you talk about whether it's Aeroflight, FOC, all of those things, Aeroflight to me is key. But no, the first one's going to be hitting the animal. But I was leaving that one out when I was talking about flight. Of course, it's accuracy. <laughs> yeah, but but but, but, but the reason is, I mean, I go over. And part of that's just shooting skill. Can you shoot accurate at two sixty? Sure, you can. But I'm telling you, for me, the the hunting environment when I'm hunting coos deer, when I'm on Kodiak hunting Sitka's. It's a fluid environment, okay? You don't, when you're inside a bow range, you don't have all the opportunity to range the animal over and over again. There may be five or six animals there. You may have ranged one and all of a sudden one pops out to the left. You may have had, you may be three, four yards off. I watched a guy miss a completely miss a bull elk on TV shooting heavy freaking full metal jackets with heavy arrows at, at like 50 yards. He said he was five yards off. Now that might have been his excuse, but. I can tell you right now, if I'm five yards off on a bull elk, he's dead at 50 yards. No, I agree, but most guys shouldn't be shooting as far as, as uh, they do. But I don't... At 50? No, uh, no, no, I'm saying fo- talking about farther distances. But at 50, uh, a 270 foot per second setup at 50, um, you shouldn't miss it anyway at 50 if you're five yards off. I, I mean, I, I'm... I off, off on a white-tailed deer will completely miss the chest cavity at 270 and 50 yards, or just nick the bottom of it, aiming center mass. At five, yeah, at 50, at a, at, yeah, with whitetail, I won't disagree with that. Um, but, again, how much are you bumping it up? You go to 300 feet per second. Um, you're you're, you're going to close down from probably 10 to 12 inches of drop of at, at a five, five yards at 270. 
I would say is close um, of what your drop is. At 300 for se- feet per second, you're probably going to what, six, eight inches of drop? Probably, but I'm going to go to 325 and I'm going to bump it down to like four inches. But you are one of the only humans that can do that, and it's not fair to judge what you can do. What about the guy with midget arm shooting 28 inches? He's going to have to hey, have kind I, of a happy medium. Again, again, it's all about picking the right bow design, too. If he goes <laughs> and buys a, a Bowtech, uh, I don't know, what is it, SR6 new bow they have out, it's a 345-foot-per-second bow. He's a 28-inch draw length. He's pulling 70 pounds. You know, he's going to shoot 325 at IBO. So it's realistic at 70 pounds and a 400 grain arrow for him to be shooting 305 to 310 feet per second. You know, everybody wants. I just, I just don't buy into it, man. I watch guys all year long in IBO at, at 28, 29 inch drawing shooting 330. Okay. It doesn't mean they should shoot necessarily 330 at five grains per pound for hunting, but if they go up to. To uh, a 400 grain arrow from 350, you're going to lose about 15 foot per second, 16, 15 to 17 foot per second. Okay, so now they're 345 foot a second bow, or they're 335 foot a second bow shooting three, you know, 315, three, 318. That's a badass setup, whitetails, in my opinion. Well, yeah, well I'm not going to argue with whitetails too much. I, 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 a lot of this, where this is coming from, is all the horrible stories I get from guys shooting light arrows on on emails as well. And so, at what point does one compensate for the other, or is one better for the other? I, I think any arrow at you know that you start hitting that 475, 500 uh, foot per or 500 grains per inch, doing 265 plus is going to penetrate the scapula with a cut-on-contact broadhead. You have just as much chance to hit the scapula as you do the stomach. They're, you know, 50-50 going either way. So there's kind of a happy medium in there with both. And I, 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 I'm I, not against what you're saying. I just think that people will have more trouble tuning at 300 feet per second. The bow will probably be louder oh, at 300 yeah. feet per second. And so there's got to be a happy medium in there where there's good in all directions. Uh-huh. My bow was deadly silent last year at 315 foot a second, but I I put cat whiskers on the string to slow it down from 320. <laughs> it was deadly silent. I I okay. So here's the thing where I strongly disagree with you is why can I shoot an animal and kill it on my third arrow, and I guarantee you shoot that compound. It's not hanging around. It's not because the arrow's flying out of it. It's the bow going off. And you were saying just earlier, you, just because you have to. I just shot a two inch. I shot a two-inch that, rear deploy broadhead that shot a four-inch entry hole, and mine died in the first twenty yards. You, that's you're deviating from the question. What made that animal run? Oh, it was your you, bow you going off. You, you just told me you had to shoot it three times. No, I hit it on the third arrow. I missed the first two, and the animal didn't go anywhere. It's because my bow's quieter than a compound, and I have yet to see somebody shoot a compound and the animal hang around after the first shot. With a, and with well, a stick bow, I, I've done it myself on probably six animals where the first one was like artillery, and the second one I had to re, re-estimate and get my shit together and kill it. Recurves quiet. Now you're talking like, now you're talking like a trad archer. No, I, I'm, what I'm telling you is what happened. You are saying your bow was deadly quiet. It's, <laughs> but my point is, my point is, is you're you're going to build your setup around an anomaly like that. No, you're taking it to extreme off of what I'm saying. I'm using it as a point that a quieter bow can help. Oh, I want quiet too. 
I want I want I want quick and quiet, and I think it's very reasonable to get that, especially with today's you know parallel limbos. They are stupid quiet, even at high speed. If you know what you're doing, I I'm not going to disagree with that. But we were talking about the speed of sound earlier and the speed of a bow, and you were talking about how quiet you can get a fast bow. I'm not disagreeing. I trust you. I know you wouldn't lie to me. Of course your bow's quiet. I have seen very few people on the range that have a quiet bow shooting fast, fast speeds, and a heavier arrow will do that by default, within reason, without going to a far extent. And so my only reason I talked about with a stick bow being quiet is it can't be denied. One of the only good things as far as, when I say good things, as far as the accuracy, lethality, with a stick bow, if you miss the first shot, there's a very good chance you're going to get a shot the second time because they don't know the bow went off. Where with a compound, that's not going to happen. So it's arguable that a quieter compound might be better with an animal dropping out of the way, which yeah, you I think is know. the arrow. I've shot, I've shot second shots, but if you know if I'm shooting at 90 yards, they don't even know where it came from. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I won't disagree with you there. The coos deer I killed, the only reason I did kill it is because it was at a far distance because I missed four or five of them at sub-50, and finally I'm like, this ain't working. I'm going to shoot this thing farther away because they were just flat out getting out of the way, and I'm sure a lot of it had to do with my veins. Um, at that time, oh, I was shooting a fairly high-profile vein. That animal's on crack cocaine, and that's all there is to it. No, 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 for, for sure. Um, down at uh, Alabama, it was deer the same way. Yeah, I shot one bedded. He was bedded. Didn't even know I was there. I'm shooting 325 foot a second with a low profile, three inch vein, three flash, just for pure, just for quiet. And that son of a gun, I, <laughs> he come out of his bed and spun into the arrow. <laughs> and before the era, I mean, it was, a, it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. I mean, it was it was nuts. I mean, and how do you plan for that? You you can't. There's no amount of. They're hearing the arrow coming at them. That's all there is to it. Yeah, no, I, I, mean, I I'm not going to deny that. Um, there is definitely. You know, I got a good friend. I got a good friend in uh, on my staff down in Arizona. He kills monster coos every year with a bow, and he's doing it at longer distances, but. You know, I just, I, man, I don't know how anybody can hit one of those standing there looking at you at 50 yards. I think it's just, you know, it's a numbers game. I mean, it's just a numbers game. Some of them will sit there and take it, some of them won't. Yeah, no, for, for sure. And I, I, I've got to say that I've, uh, since shooting the stick mo, some things of my thinkings have changed as far as penetration because shooting a heavier arrow at 180 feet per second, watching arrows blow through animals compared to TV shows where guys are shooting and getting 10 inch of penetration on a whitetail at 20 yards. There's different things where I'm like, you know, you can't be argued a little bit heavier arrow is going to penetrate more. But I shot a heavier arrow with a compound too, but well, be fair too. Some of those guys are shooting two and a half inch rages. They're shooting schwackers. They're they're not shooting the same broadheads that you shoot. Well, and no, that, you're shooting lower. That you go, have to have more weight for penetration because you don't have the speed. Yeah, and well, that's what I'm saying though. Is with the cut on contact head, and I guess I didn't mention that. When I say that, the when I'm talking about the penetration I'm getting, how much penetration I'm getting with a cut-on-contact head and a heavy arrow compared to guys shooting lighter arrows with 
uh, well, basically a momentum sucking broadhead. It is pretty amazing the difference that I can get, you know, ring stem to sternum a deer with a, a stick doing 180 feet per second. Um, but it's the cut on contact head. It's, you know, in the heavy arrow is what's doing it. Yeah, well, kinetic energy is speed squared times mass, you know, so, you know, and there's the argument of kinetic energy and momentum, you know, but again, so much of it's split in hairs and about any setup you do will shoot right through any animal out there as long as you hit it in the right spot. Yeah, that can't be argued. No, I mean, I agree with that totally. Um, and, and, and I I wanted to get you on here because I had a ton of guys talking about FOC. We had like a four part podcast on what the best aero system is, and I and and I had uh, Dudley was on and he talked about it. Um, you know, and I know with you, you're kind of on the farther end of the spectrum on that. But the the amount of people can. <laughs> It's just never, it's just really not a big issue to me. It's just, it's not. I just don't see it affecting any performances I've ever had on animals or accuracy at distance. When I can shoot a four-inch group at 100 yards with with 7% FOC, how are you going to convince me that 20% FOC is better? You'd have to have a guy that can't shoot as good as you do it and see if it has the same outcome. I don't think anything can be judged off your ability, Tim. It's not fair. You're too good. <laughs> you got to have a halfway okay. shitty guy do it. Solve the problem at the root, not a, not band-aid it with with. Uh, I do not. I do not crap. disagree. I I I won the Colorado State field shoot, and I was shooting 50 grain hot points in a 23-12, and uh, and I shot a very high score with that system. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue with you there. I just think there's more of a happy medium, and if each side of the fence would give in a little bit and come to a conclusion for people to learn. It'd be a hell of a lot better off rather than the heavy FOC or extreme fought guys pounding their chest and then the guys on the other end pounding theirs. A lot can be learned from all of this that would make archery better, and it, it just seems like nobody's willing to give. Yeah, one of the, one of the things we didn't talk about at all is uh, is veins in the equation. And, and I'm a big believer that... Um, when you're dealing with mediocrity, when you're dealing with people that aren't great shooters, you're dealing with finger shooters, you really can't do anything better than put more vein on an arrow. Um, if, if I got a guy, for example, that can stand in front of a paper tuner and shoot the same pair twice through paper, the best thing that I can do for him is put more vein on his arrow and straighten it out faster. Um, you know, that being said, I still want to make him stand in front of paper and try to figure out what he's doing wrong. You know, he's he's not doing the same thing every time, and standing in front of paper and shooting one arrow through paper is going to give you a cause and effect. I did this, this is what I got, type this. And uh, it, it's a very good training aid. If you're shooting six blades out there, I think the number one thing that you can do for yourself is to shoot four flash. It is tremendous in its difference. It's so compelling to me when I did my initial testing that I just literally put it, put it on every single target setup I have. I just use different size veins based on what I'm doing. Um, that You know, you can shoot three flex just fine, but um, I just believe that four flex is more efficient. Why uh, Why does it seem like uh, a lot of uh, arrow companies go with blazer veins on their arrows? Is that is that for yeah, some specific exactly. reason? Back, or? When I, back when I started archery, um, four flex was fairly popular because everybody hand fletched on bits and burger jigs, right? But then Norway, Norway come out with this fletching machine, right? Well, it only three flexes. 
Okay, so all the manufacturers in the industry bought these machines and did all their factory pressing on them. A lot of times there's not a reason why people do things. It's just, it's just that's the way it ended up. There's not, you know, I'm saying there's not a reason. There's not a real good reason. So they kind of just stuck with that method yeah, for their factory so, fletch veins. Know, they just stuck at, with the three fletch blazers. Now we built our own factory fletching machines, so that allows us to, you know, number one, there's several reasons why we did that. We had a lot of maintenance issues with other machines, and uh, you just had to have a full time guy there just keeping the spacing and the and the you know, all the, uh, you know, everything else working on the machine. So our machines are a lot more labor friendly. Um, but I just really believe, and I pushed pretty hard for it, didn't get my way, but, uh, you know, I pushed really hard for recreating the blazer phenomena because the blazer does work. It is the height of the vein that actually does the controlling. It is, it does the correcting. You know, I don't think spin does what people say, what people think it does. Spin... Spin keeps the arrow from stalling out. Okay, um, it's kind of like a it's kind of like a pellet out of a pellet gun versus a slug. See, a slug has no fins on the back of it, so it's not it's not stabilized the same way as a like a pellet is. A pellet stabilized like an arrow. Okay, and therefore, you know, you you have to have a higher spin ratio with a slug to be able to to stabilize it than you do. Um, you know, with a fletched arrow. So I've tried that a hundred different ways this Sunday, you know, taking arrows and trying to make them hyper spin to try to offset the need for, you know, for higher fletching. And it never worked. From a forgiveness standpoint, nothing beats a high profile four fletch. And especially when you throw a fixed blade broadhead in the equation. Yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't disagree with that at all. I've had much better luck with four fletch, but I've sh- I've shot four fletch forever. But what you said is totally true. Um, that's why I shoot three five inch big ass chicken feathers on the back of my arrow is the imperfection in arrow flight. And I've had the Ashby guys tell me, oh, with your front of center, it'll pull. It's bullshit. I don't buy any of it. I tested it. I tried it. I mean, yeah, I'm going to get more wind drift, but I'm not shooting 80 yards anymore. I got a freaking recurve, right? I mean, a far shot is 40 for me. So the wind drift is more of a kind of a moot point. But with with compound guys, for the most part, I encourage them to at least try against, you know, three inch, three fletch. So let's say to try like 2.75, four fletch and offset it to a two to three degree offset on a straight clamp. Um, and I have guys have generally had better luck. Is that, uh, I'd run and pee. I don't know if I missed anything. Is that about what you're shooting on your four fletch? I hard helical, left helical, everything. And the reason is, is because I want it boring into the wind. Um, an arrow that's spinning is going to drift less. Okay. And I just, I, I just, I just think that, you know, I get this question every day of my life. What's the perfect vein for this? What's the perfect vein for that? What's the perfect vein for this? There is no such thing as perfect, okay? What you have to take into consideration is the weight of the arrow. If you have a light arrow and you put too much vein on it, it's going to slow down and start to parachute, right? The, 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 the point is going to start to lose control over the fletching, okay? It's going to lose control and start to, everything's going to start, you know, spreading out. And also, if you watch wind drift, wind drift happens in the last 20% of the aeroflight. 
you're watching arrow go down there about 60 yards the wind takes it and just throws it because it's slowing down so the faster an arrow slows down the more wind drift you're going to get out of it you know that being said if i have a really heavy arrow it's not going to be at, it's not going to slow down at the same rate of a light arrow with the same vein because of all that momentum and inertia so you can get by with bigger veins on a heavier arrow and it's and it's necessary for for really good arrow flight in my opinion um and a good ruddering effect at that point um because you know the, the it's a if the front of the arrow is always in line with the back the black the back can't take off granted a heavy foc is not going to take off at the rate of speed of a light one that's why we don't shoot 50 green points in the wind for competition because you get your buddy because because there's no there's no control over the arrow once it leaves your buff okay and uh, the same thing applies, but within reason, you know. So you, you just have to go out and experiment. And I, when I go out and try to find the right vein combo, when we were shooting 90 meters for competition, you had to be really a lot more critical on your vein combos and not getting too much um, drag on them. But that being said, we're trying to hit a, a two-inch, two-and-a-half-inch spot at 90 meters. When we're hunting, we're trying to hit the proverbial four-by-six, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't. You know, those kinds of things. You know, I, I don't. I don't overthink those kinds of things as much in the uh, in the in the you know in the uh, arrow selection. Like the arrow I'm running right now is 430 grains. It's got that thorn glue and broadhead. It has no exposed blade surface area. I drop down to a 1.754 fletch. Okay, so I go down in force that size because I don't need it because I don't have any exposed blades. And you can't treat all mechanicals the same either. You can't just say, well, this, all mechanicals should be shot with a 1.75 vein. Well, that's not true because, you know, a Rage in one design has a bigger exposed blade surface area than does a Schwacker, than does a, you know, a Thorn or a, you know, a Bloodsport or, or what have you. You know, you have to make your fletching choice based on the amount of blade surface area you have on the front of the arrow, because that's 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 what's causing the negative reaction and why you need the ruddering in the in the back to to straighten those mistakes back out. No, for yeah, for sure. I the um, when you're talking about the the fixed blade or the mechanicals and the, the different exposed surfaces, um, it for a blueprint for guys. I generally say 2.75 to 3 inch is a good average for people that don't know what they're doing to throw on their arrow for guys bugging me about what vein to shoot. Um, I mean, would you agree with that? Because it seems like that's the best happy yeah, medium. Well, I think if, if I'm going to make a if I'm going to make a safe recommendation for everybody, I'm going to say I'm a big fan of the Q2Is. That's what we use at Gold Tip now. It's really easy to fletch. It's stiff. It's very efficient. A stiffer vein is going to be always more efficient than one that's flopping around. It's also going to be a lot quieter. Um, veins that are real floppy are going to be really noisy. Um, veins that have a lot of texture, like a blazer, are going to be really noisy. That noise translates into control, but, again, there's a happy medium. So if you're looking at the Q2I line, I would say a... A fusion two and a three inch vein in a four fletch, or you know, we use a two point seven one at gold tip. Um, I think that's probably on the, you know, on the edge of depending on how big a fixed blade you go. Most fixed blades is probably adequate. Um, back when I did my initial testing, I was using a two point five inch vein tech, 
and it was light years better than any four inch three flex helical that I could ever, you know, configure. I mean, it just, it performed so much better. So I always kind of go back to that, that initial testing that, you know, I went from a, th- a four inch hard helical with every broadhead I tried at some point planing off and hitting in the dirt at 80 or 90 yards to not even being able to come out of a six inch circle once I went to four flex. So it was so compelling to me that, uh, you know, I just, I can't ignore it. You know, when you go to the two-inch high profiles, one of the reasons, again, I shoot mechanical broadheads is I hate the noise of a a four-fletch, four- or two-inch high profile vein that that I need to get the type of broadhead, fixed-blade broadhead accuracy that I want. And I can shoot fixed blades as good as anybody in the world, I promise you. But they have their limitations. The worst shots I've ever made on animals with fixed blades. Why? Because of the conditions. Because when you're shooting at an animal, most people are not 100% like they are in the backyard. They're jangled, okay? When you're jangled, you don't make perfect shots. When you don't make perfect shots, guess what? It translates, if you want to look at it in paper, it translates into a bad paper tear, which translates into your broadhead going opposite of that paper tear. So that's where you're talking forgiveness comes into play. Let's talk about that for a sec. Because I brought this up on other podcasts, the, the, the pitfalls of a fixed blade. You don't need to shoot a fixed blade through paper. A bare shaft or a flat shaft will do, but a bare shaft will really tell the tale. Torque your bow slightly. After everything's perfect, torque your bow slightly and shoot through paper. And then try to put yourself in a rock crevice, a bad angle, leg up, leg down, canted, contorted. Immediately the moment that arrow comes out of the bow bad shit is going on with a broadhead screwed to the front, which can cause you to shoot it in the ass or the shoulder. And there's no denying that. You can't can't fake it. That's how it is. Yeah, especially with 80% let-off bows. Yeah. Well, you never yeah. see anybody shooting 80% let-off bows for that reason. You know? Because they're just too easy to manipulate, too easy to torque. And then you put guys in, in like you said, in hunting scenarios. First thing that happens when you get jangled is your body wants to collapse. When you collapse... When you start to creep, what happens? Yeah, yeah, Body comes out of alignment. Comes out of alignment with the arrow. You're going to get left and right arrows. Typically, a right arrow. And you, you also other things that I see guys death grip the, the grip, and that causes drastic changes. I mean, you can watch down your arrow and go from open-handed, controlled grip to shit out of it. You can watch your your uh, cables get closer or farther away the moment you death grip that bow from your arrow. And that changes significantly, too. So I'm by no means, I mean, I'm a huge fan of mechanicals. I like fixed blades as well. But, again, there's a happy medium, and, and, and neither one of them are, are perfect. And there's issues with both of them. You need to stay cognizant of that when you're screwing around. Well, you know, you, you just have to learn your limitations of what you're doing. You know, when I shoot fixed blades, I have to be way more cognizant of what's happening. I mean, I shot an elk several years ago up in Idaho where you're required to shoot fixed blades, the wind's blowing butthole sideways. I'm within what I call, you know, really 50, or I was, what, 62 yards, which is a slam dunk. And I tell you what, boy, that that was ugly what happened when I touched that arrow off. You know, I gave it about 14 inches of drift, and it probably drifted three foot because when that wind caught that fixed blade, it was... And I, and I, and I kind of got lucky because, you know, you're shooting really sharp, big fixed blade broadheads. I was shooting a Grim Reaper Hades, 
and uh, you know it, it was you know probably good fortune more than anything. But uh, you know I don't like to rely on good fortune. I like to rely on you know if I was shooting a mechanical broad in that scenario, that wouldn't happen to me. I promise you. Oh, as and, far as the uh, drift, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, on the same trip, I shot a second bull because um, you can kill two bulls up there if they have leftover tags, and I shot him at right at the same distance, I think 60 yards. And I think it, more because I was a little jangled, I hit him in the liver. And thank God, you know, I mean, there it, it, it was good snow on. I probably would, I probably still would have been able to blood trail him, but I'm telling you right now, if I'd have hit him in the same spot with a two-blade kill zone, the blood trail would have been twice as big. Yeah, I'm not going to argue that. I've shot a lot with those kill zones, and it I leaves like, a big hole. And I probably wouldn't have missed as far as I, I mean, I wouldn't have hit where I did. I probably hit three or four inches closer to the to where I was aiming. You know, I did, that's that's why I shoot mechanicals. I'm an expert at tuning and fixing and shooting and so on and so forth. I'm, you know, I think guys like yourself and like Burnworth and those guys, you guys get kind of stone cold to killing animals, but that's not the average guy. The average guy still gets tore up a little bit, and you have to account for that. And there's a reason why, you know, why mechanicals shoot better. That being said, I've seen lots of guys just dismiss the fact that they need to spin tune their mechanicals, that they need to... Ah, don't get me going on that. Fuck. (laughs) Dude. Well, no, I... People don't understand if you put a, and kill zones, kill zones are really long shank, right? You got to spin them. They're not all going to be good. It is amazing. People don't understand at 80 yards, uh, a kill zone or rage, if they don't spin true, they are not going to hit remotely close to the same spot. They're going to hit better than a fixed blade, but that you have got to spin your mechanicals, even if there's not a lot of shit sticking out of the side of them. And that's one. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, and I choose the I choose the ones that have the trophy tip over the the blade because I want to reduce the amount of planing surface area on the front of the broadhead. I see no value to the cut on contact blade. Ninety percent of them on the market aren't straight anyway, and you have to end up getting them straight and gluing them down. So why bother? Why not have a perfectly concentric pressed tip like the like the trophy tip that'll you know I think penetrate and blow bone apart better, you know. And, and, and it allows you to, to, to spin tune your heads a lot easier. And we do a, there's a great video on Gold Tips YouTube channel. It's called Broadhead Alignment. Just go watch how I do it. it you know, it's all about people think it's the broadhead. What, what, what dictates broadhead alignment is the feral diameter of the broadhead versus the idea of the insert and the run out of all those parts being combined. So you have to learn how to tweak that. Okay, it's very easy. I was lucky I got taught that when I was like 14 years old. And I, I know guys that have been shooting for 20 years never been taught that. So, um, you know, you know, in the past, guys just rotate, you know, they'd heat up aluminum arrow and rotate the broadhead. You know, but you don't really need to do that. You can simply just press the broadhead around in the point. One of the reasons I really, really love this Thorn broadhead is it has a clip that goes under the tip, okay? It flies completely closed. I can do all of my paper tuning with the actual broadhead, I can do all of my sighting in with the actual broadhead. I remove the clip, touch the blades up with a diamond, and I go hunting. Okay? It's it's just, it's the epitome of surgically accurate. Right. No, totally. And I mean, when you're going to shoot far, especially, I'm not saying don't be anal when you're going to shoot close. If you're going to shoot uh, at any distance, you have got to be that anal 
or it's shit. It's just not yeah. going to pan out for you. It's just not going to not going to be good. It's incremental, and you think even back in the day when guys shot nothing but recurves, they weren't anal with their equipment. They were. They sorted arrows. They spined arrows. They, you know, they had their favorite arrows and their bad arrows. You know, and and if you just watch some of this tuning stuff, it'll teach you how to to make all your arrows reliable. Make make it to where you can pull any arrow out of the quiver at any time and dump a four-inch dot at 100 yards if you have the shooting ability to do so. The problem you run into is guys just, you know, that arrow hits, and you see that I see this a lot with crossbows. And the cr- problem with crossbows are is 90% of the crossbow bolts are weak. And so the weak manifests itself through basically the arrow can't handle the load, so it's, uh, it's ripping all these variety of different paper tears. When they put a broadhead on it, they just go, you know, and, and, and because they're moving so fast, even with a, even with a, you know, just a fixed blade, or I mean, even with a field point, they still really are hard to hit anything with at, at any distance unless you're really, really a good mechanic. No, no, for for sure. Um, I'm gonna get somebody's gonna give me shit. I'm saying uh, for saying for sure too much on this podcast, but we're working on like an hour and forty minutes. We should probably get off. Is there anything else you want to add after uh, that hour and forty minute session on? Uh, arrows and broadheads and tuning <laughs> um you know no i just encourage guys to come over we provided a bunch of resources at, at gold tips uh, youtube channel there's lots of stuff on there the more you can learn the more you can read the more you can educate knowledge is power okay you're going to learn something from everything i've been doing this 35 years religiously and i continually learn i continually have my ears to the ground i continually listen to what people say but at the same time you know there are certain things I will fight to the death on because you're not going to change my mind on it because I absolutely know. Well, I concede you can kill deer with your, you know, 600-grain arrow with a single bevel. No problem. But I'm telling you right now, if you put 10 guys into that setup, they're not going to have as good of an experience as if you put them into a reasonable setup, um, you know, that was reasonable fast. Whether they shoot a fixed blade or a mechanical, it's up to them. I think they're going to have better luck with a good design mechanical. Again, I think guys get stuck on, you know, one bad experience and they're going to throw it all out the, the, the gate. But you have to pick your broadhead based on, you know, the speed, your arrow weight, the kind of poundage you're able or willing to pull. Um, are you shooting a recurve? You know, are you shooting a compound? Are you shooting a high-performance bow? Are you shooting a mid-performance bow? You know, you have to learn your equipment and learn, you know, where that threshold lies, you know. You know, Randy Omer always said his his uh, his uh, criteria for maximum effective yardage was: I go out every morning and shoot one arrow. What is the distance I can reliably put that in the kill zone? Because you know, we go out hunting all day long, and all of a sudden we beat our bow around for six straight days, never shot it on a target, and all of a sudden we get a shot, and we think we can make the same shot we made in our backyard at 120 yards with no pressure. No, I don't think so. No, no. Not even, not even the very best. Yeah. No, I agree. Um it's and it's no different really with a with a stick or any other weapon. You're never gonna be as good out in the field as you are on the practice course, or at least I don't think so. Um, especially with adrenaline even guys with ice in their veins, there's some adrenaline there and it's hard to keep your shit together. Yeah. I mean it's it's hard to control. Well, because when you get adrenaline and when you get nervous, your body starts to collapse. And when you're holding 50 pounds on a recurve, 
you need all the strength you can have to, you know, to hold it back. I mean, you might have, you know, strength to burn, but most guys don't, you know. I'm getting older. I don't have as much as I used to. But still got a little. Uh, <laughs> oh, shit. Well, Tim, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, let's definitely do it again. And uh, um, I'm sure uh, after this podcast, there'll be all kinds of uh, response to it, and maybe we can circle back in a month or and, and uh, respond to some of the comments and questions on it. Yeah, you know what's funny? I've never listened to a podcast in my life. <laughs> oh, you don't have time. You know, and when I did that Gritty Bowman with you guys a couple years ago or three or four years ago at the trade show, I was shocked the amount of people that, I mean, I had a guy come up to me, it was the funniest thing, or he came up to me at Home Depot, I'm like, I don't even know who this guy is. Yeah, man, I heard your podcast, that was really good, you know, and I, I, you know, I just think you should, you should, you should, you know, one side of the story should never be told, you should tell all sides of the story. And the more you understand about a subject, the more you're going to be able to make a good, educated decision on it. So, yeah, I can't argue with that. Well, we definitely got uh, a different side of the story than than the uh, the Ashby crew for today. So, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of questions and comments. Tell them there's plenty of. You know, no, I better not rile them up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! All right, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Take it easy. Thanks, Tim. I, I'm just going to say, if I had to limit myself to, to 30 yards, I'd have a I'd have a ton of two points on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Oh, Lord. All right, man. Take it easy. See ya.